we think interest rates will not go to record levels, but gradually normalize rates going forward. And again, if it's not accompanied by an inflationary threat, we think that's positive. And any time we see sudden moves in rates, uh, we think it's very important for investors to make sure you focus on fundamentals beyond rates, right? And beyond, you know, what the suddenness of the move is. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Welcome, everyone. This is John Lynch, Chief Investment Strategist for LPL Financial, and this is our next edition of LPL Market Signals podcast. Very excited to be on today with my friend and colleague, Jeff Bookbinder. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, John. Good to be here. Thank you. You doing okay this morning? I'm doing great, thanks. Terrific. I'm I'm well, thank you. I'm I'm grateful that you can partner with me on this podcast. Uh, Ryan Dietrich, as you know, who ordinarily does this podcast with me, he told me that he uh, he has a speaking engagement down in Orlando uh, today and tomorrow. But I think I'm going to be checking social media for pictures of Ryan with his kids to see if he's got uh, Mickey Mouse ear hats on or something like that. So may have to double check. Maybe we could call the school to see whether or not they're enrolled today. You know, he, he has explained that he's working, but I'm not so sure about that. What are your thoughts? We'll, uh, we'll look for some uh, pictures of Ryan on roller coasters. That's right. That's probably uh, coming shortly. <laughs> that'll, that'll tell the tale. But Ryan is traveling. We appreciate what he's doing for our investors and uh, obviously delighted to have Jeff on uh, partnering with me today. Uh, it's an exciting week. I think, Jeff, we have you know, more than plenty to cover. Um, I think we should probably focus on Fed Chair Jerome Powell, uh, the jump in interest rates last week, as well as uh, let's talk a little more about the global economy and, and the global financial markets. But to start off, I want our listeners to be aware that uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell had a uh, speech last week in Boston in front of a lot of industry luminaries. And our very own Jeff Bookbinder was one of the luminaries there, along with uh, our friend and colleague Barry Gilbert. Jeff, tell us a little bit about that lunch. Well, first, John, I'm I'm surprised they let us in. This was um, it was quite a crowd. It was the uh, National Association of Business Economists. A lot of Fed chairs in the past have been involved in this uh, organization. It's 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 really um, it's a big deal. They're celebrating their 60th anniversary. And uh, yeah, we were lucky enough to get uh, to get an invite and and be there. Um, I would say, you know, a couple things that stood out. One, I mean, he he is really really credible. I mean, not that Yellen sure. and Bernanke weren't credible, but you talk about a commanding presence. Um, <clears throat> we were joking in the office that we were going to try to, you know, read him and see how big his brief, briefcase was, <laughs> things of that nature, to, to get a sense as he had, answered questions. Boy, I, I don't want to be at his poker table because he is he is uh, cool and collected, no doubt, uh, and just a very, very credible um, uh, presence. So what that means for markets, I think, is that if anybody thinks that he's going to be swayed by politics, they're, um, I'm sure, uh, mistaken. Uh, and I am uh, comforted by the fact that he's a market guy. Uh, you've talked about it, John, a lot. Um, not burdened by the PhD in, in, in economics. That's exactly right. So tell me this: Were you close to him? Were you close enough to eat French fries off his plate, or what happened not there? Not quite. Not quite that close, but we were close. I, I would say uh, maybe um, thirty, forty feet away from the podium. We we 
we were fortunate enough to get a pretty good uh, table, and uh, the, the food was pretty good. Excellent. We've got to like that. You know, at LPL Research, we will work for food, so very glad you had that opportunity. Now, tell me a little Always. bit about uh, uh, his commentary. Clearly, uh, he did move markets. So what was your assessment on some of the things he had to say about the strength of the economy and uh, policy going forward? Sure, yeah. A lot of the headlines uh, at you know, on Wednesday, too, not just Tuesday, um, were to the effect of remarkably positive economy. So that, that certainly struck us as um, something important for markets. Mm-hmm. This economy is really strong. Uh, Powell alluded to it. And um, we shouldn't necessarily uh, assume that this old Phillips curve relationship, uh, that, that's the relationship between unemployment and inflation, uh, shouldn't necessarily assume that's going to hold here in the way it has uh, historically. That was um, one mm-hmm. of Chair Powell's main messages. Inflation, there are a number of things keeping it down, but uh, it's increasing, but it's increasing gradually and um that uh, should allow, uh, we think, for markets to manage through this period as uh, as rates pick up here a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, the you know the we've talked about in the past how you know he's not burdened by the expectations as you as you mentioned of a PhD in economics, and really the message that we're trying to get across to investors there is that the last two Fed chairs, Yellen and Bernanke, did masterful jobs, in my opinion given the hand that they were dealt. Uh, but they were very much, uh, uh, you know, rules-based, quantitative, uh, uh, econometric model-type-based uh, approaches. And certainly uh, they broke all rules, particularly Bernanke, right, when he, he started uh, quantitative easing. But nonetheless, we're in a situation now where I think we're stepping away from the dot plot or the econometric model. And I think we could see a return to one of Greenspan's great strategies was um, jawboning the markets. And in fact, I tweeted about that this morning, uh, hashtag perspective provider at John Lynch LPL, shameless self-promotion for my Twitter feed. Uh, but nonetheless, I did t- I tweeted about the idea that um, we could be dealing with more jawboning going forward because, I mean, it's amazing to me that in a single speech, Investors have gone from worrying about a flattening yield curve to uh, a steepening yield curve. And it's our assessment that as long as rates are rising accompanied with growth expectations as opposed to fears of runaway inflation, we think that is a real positive development. And uh, Jeff, as you and I have spoken, Barry uh, Gilbert and Ryan Dietrich certainly on the team, we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, it's hard to have a sustainable inflation threat without the participation of wages. And uh, last Friday's employment report, we saw that uh, wages are up 2.8% on a year-over-year basis. Historically, wages have to rise, you know, 4 4.5% before the Fed feels the need to slam on the brakes. So we do believe that we have a little bit of runway. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the past, you've seen the Fed hike rates up to Four percent plus before you get any sort of um, market volatility that uh, precedes the end of the economic cycle. So we think we do have more runway to go here, based uh, on the yield curve, based on interest rates. Um, there are a number of economic uh, indicators that you can look at that suggest that um, we'll continue to see economic growth here for uh, at least another year or two. 
Yeah, but in, sight, in spite of that credible in, incredible insight, the markets did sell off quite a bit on Thursday and Friday, right? So that's part of the humbling thing on the life we have chosen trying to forecast these markets. Now, I think if we can transition from Powell's speech, if you will, to the rise in rates, uh, let's, let's tap into that a little longer. Certainly, as I mentioned, if it's a, accompanied by growth expectations and not the threat from inflation, we view that favorably. But we can't ignore the fact that when you see a sudden shift in rates of 20 basis points over a matter of days, that's certainly going to affect the equity markets, won't it? Sure, yeah. What you what you see, John, when you look back historically at the relationship between stocks and bonds is that when you get these big sudden moves, when the market is surprised by something, uh, that's when stocks tend to tend to weaken. And that's what we got last week. Uh but if you look at longer periods of time, uh, if you look at, you know, I think the average over a year, if you see like a 1.5% or so move in the 10-year yield, uh, on average, stocks go up because the market is pricing in better growth. You certainly have seen this since the 80s. You know, if you go back to the 70s, that was a very different environment. And there certainly you saw uh, the market get a little more skittish when interest rates were rising because we had a massive inflation problem. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very different uh, than what we're uh, experiencing today. And that's something to keep in mind with the, uh, you know, our great partners and the LPL creative design team and the marketing team where we had that chart uh, that many people have seen relative to the interest rate environment and the height of the chair of the Federal Reserve. If you go back to 19... 80 when Paul Volcker was running the place, we had record high interest rates, and Volcker was what, maybe six foot eight, and then Alan Greenspan was about six, six, six foot, six foot one, and you saw rates go down a little bit, and then Ben Bernanke. Ben Bernanke was about our size, Jeff. You know, I think you and I could have taken him to the hoop if we played basketball with him, but nonetheless, uh, he took rates down to record lows, and then Janet Yellen, as you know, uh, uh, vertically challenged. Uh, with the best of them, and, but she took rates even further lower. So uh, I think investors can be comfortable with the fact that Jerome Powell is an average size male, and consequently uh, uh, we think interest rates will not go to record levels, but gradually normalize rates going forward. And again, if it's not accompanied by an inflationary threat, we think that's positive. And any time uh, we see sudden moves in rates, uh, we think it's an, um, very important for investors to make sure you focus on fundamentals beyond rates, right, and beyond, uh, you know, what the suddenness of the move is. Now, clearly, we, we see very strong uh, leading economic indicators in the U.S., 6.4% on a year-over-year -year basis. Typically, that has to turn negative before the economy slips into recession. Uh, we saw very good numbers in manufacturing and services last week. And even though the employment week report was weaker than expected, you know, one of the messages we're trying to get across to investors is that uh, Hurricane Florence had a lot to do with that. And historically, when you have tragedies such as that, uh, the rebuilding process more than makes up for any short-term temporary loss. Now, again, we don't want to be dismissive of the, the tragedy, but looking at the economic and market impacts, uh, we think that we'll see uh, demand firm in the months and quarters ahead. Yeah, John, that's a really important point. The market is pushing yields higher because the growth outlook is better. Right. Um, again, very different from what you've seen uh, 
in, in past decades where uh, interest rates were going up for the wrong reasons. Good, good deal. Well, I appreciate that. And let's kind of transition that from, you know, what rates are doing domestically to how that's going to potentially impact uh, the global economy. Certainly, we see pretty good growth, good growth in the U.S., uh, very good growth in the emerging space, not so much in 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 uh, Europe. And one of the major things we are concerned most about with Europe tends to be the the still prevalent populism uh, that we're seeing and seeing some of the lack of coordination between governments on fiscal policy. Certainly, you know, we have a, a situation where uh, you have varying inflation and interest rate levels, uh, deficits with different different uh, different countries. The big thing that got everybody's attention over the past 10 days or so was certainly Italy with their uh, deficit spending projections for their coalition government. And, uh, you know, while Greece might have got everybody's attention four or five years ago, Italy really is a big deal, right, Jeff? Because, you know, they're the third or fourth largest uh, credit market in the world. And um, that's something that uh, we should take very seriously. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely, especially uh, with regard to European banks uh, who um, are, are holding Italian debt in big numbers. Uh, I just you mentioned that interest rates in the U.S. are going up for the right reasons because we're seeing more growth and a little bit more inflation, which is what you're supposed to see at this stage of the cycle, especially given how well the U.S. economy is doing. Well, in Italy, they're going up for the wrong reasons. Yeah. They're going up because folks are worried about the new government coming in there and, and spending too much and uh, uh, turning Italy into a bad credit. Uh, so uh, it's one of the reasons we're a little more cautious on Europe uh, here uh, as a as an equity destination, because they still have some structural issues uh, to work through, no doubt. Now, that is great insight. I don't think I've ever received great insight from Ryan Dietrich when I do this podcast with him. So you're you're my favorite guest from now on, Jeff, because... Should, that, I, t- should I tell Ryan that, that uh, we don't need him anymore? Yeah, I, I hear, I hear a that bus message? that you're backing up over him right now, I think. <laughs> but I also like uh, on the global economy we'll go we we digress here but on the global economy uh we think it's important for investors to keep in mind that it, you know if global growth is 3.5 3.7 3.8% uh, obviously the US is covering the bulk of that if we're going to see 3% growth domestically here uh absent uh the emerging space if you just want to look at Europe and uh Japan we're probably seeing two percent in the developed markets which would include the u.s but the emerging space still growing about a five percent clip and that's six billion people uh that's something we should not ignore and while their markets have been hit hard we think it's really important and uh we've highlighted this in our weekly economic commentary when you see global manufacturing indices whether it's in developed markets or the or emerging markets we're seeing good growth there but the better growth clearly is coming from the emerging space with GDP approaching about 5%. And I just think that is, uh, in spite of the way the markets have performed in that space this year, as they've been worried about trade concerns uh, and a strengthening dollar as a result of those concerns, uh, the emerging space really done a good job adapting to uh, the transition from 10% to 6% growth from China. I think they've done a really good job uh, Uh, adapting their export-driven models, and many have really embraced the globalization of services, which I think will really enable many of these economies ultimately to develop a more Western-style or developed economic model where they can, similar to what the Chinese are doing now, 
kind of transitioning to more consumption-based services-oriented economy. So in spite of that, global markets still continue to struggle, don't they, Jeff? Yeah, sure, uh, they do. Um, the dollar is a, is a part of that, certainly, but we've seen some weaker economic momentum, no doubt, out of uh, Europe and Japan recently. The U.S. continues to lead globally on um, not just economic growth, but also economic momentum. Uh, and you can say the same thing about uh, earnings as, as well. So uh, the trajectory is often as important, if not more so, than the uh, than the level. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know whether you're looking at level or momentum, it looks like the U.S. and emerging markets um, are, are the best places to be from an economic perspective here. Absolutely, absolutely. And transition that to uh, uh, global uh, financial markets, if you would, particularly in the equity space. You know, did some great work over the past week on uh, uh, the global markets, which a lot of that is highlighted in our weekly market commentary. Uh, this week, where you did some work based on performance, valuation, and then profit growth going forward. So why don't you start off with performance year to day and how that's been, in many of our minds, inconsistent with activity? Yeah, John, um, we, we all um, we all know it's been a tough year for emerging markets. Um, certainly, the uh, the dollar is a big part of that. As the dollar strengthens, uh, that Clips international returns for U.S. investors, so mm-hmm. that has been part of the story. But it also increases the debt load for emerging market countries that are borrowing in dollars. Uh, they essentially have to convert to more expensive currency to pay their bills, and so uh, that has um, contributed to the volatility as well. Uh, it, it is fundamental driven. You know, you, it's, it's not just sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have seen earnings weaken in um, in the emerging market space. Actually, it's weakened certainly in Europe and, and Japan a little bit too. But the the good news here, I think, and this is just a a very recent shift, is estimates have started to rise in emerging markets. The earnings picture is really strong in the U.S. We've talked a lot about that. We'll probably get another 20% or so uh, increase in earnings uh, this quarter for the S&P. Tax reform is helping a lot, but even if you take out the corporate tax cuts, S&P 500 earnings probably still going to be up mid-teens in Q3, and that rate's been similar all year. So it's really strong in, in, in the U.S., but if you turn to emerging markets, over the last month, earnings estimates have actually risen. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll see that. In Brazil, uh, depending on how that election shakes out, the market seems to like where that's going mm-hmm. uh, today. So um, we'll see if that momentum continues. But emerging market earnings estimates rising is a really uh, positive development, and it's it's quite recent because um, you know the dollar and the weaker growth and a little bit of the trade dispute uh, have caused uh, estimates there to um, uh, to weaken much of the year. Yeah, and that's that's really been impactful for particularly for the emerging space, right? Tend to be export-driven uh, manufacturing or commodity producers, right, uh, or users, uh, and consequently, it's been kind of curious what we've seen uh, over the past several weeks, uh, midsummer, if you will. We were fighting a four-front war on trade, essentially, right, with Mexico, Europe. 
Canada and then China. And uh, at some point, the administration made a decision to let's knock off some of those. And we saw uh, early stages of an agreement with Mexico and then uh, a form of uh, accommodation with the Europeans. And then last week, we saw progress with Canada. Uh, now, the, can the, the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement still needs to be passed by Congress, and that'll be the first quarter of 19. But nonetheless, we've seen a degree of progress there. Likely, we won't see anything with China until after the midterm elections. But very interesting the way the market has performed as we've progressed. You know, typically in a Midterm election year, the third quarter is the worst quarter, but this this year we saw the S&P 500 up 700, 725 basis points for for the third quarter, and that all started to move once you started seeing progress in Mexico, Europe, and then ultimately with Canada as the market approached record levels before uh, the interest rate move uh, in the middle of last week. So I think that's really important for investors to appreciate. You know, the performance is inconsistent with what we think the economic fundamentals are, particularly on the emerging space. And then when you look at valuation, which you've done great work on, Jeff, talk a little more about the relative valuation between, for example, next 12-month earnings with the U.S., Europe, uh, Japan, and the emerging space. Yeah, uh, everybody talks about how cheap international stocks are, John, but if you peel back the onion a little bit, it, it, it's really interesting. Um, the um, you know the MSCI uh, EFA index, the International Developed Equity Market benchmark that, that we use, is is a lot cheaper uh, than the S and P. The PE is about twenty percent lower. So, of course, lower valuations are better, right? But um, if you break out Europe and Japan, it's actually all Japan that's really contributing to that discount. Europe's mm -hmm. actually a little more expensive than it's been historically. Japan, significantly cheaper. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's really important for uh, investors uh, to understand. Um, frankly, we think Japan uh, is, a, is a better place to be anyway, even if the prices were the same. Certainly has technical uh, momentum behind it, doesn't it? Yeah, structural reforms can still work. Uh, uh, President Abe's got a mandate, strong mandate, for uh, more reforms, and the valuations look, look good. Um, Another point here is that the sector makeup of international markets is very different. The U.S. has more expensive technology stocks, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really have much technology in, in Europe, and uh, you, you end up having more exposure to the sectors that historically have been cheaper that should be cheaper. Mm -hmm. right? So if you, if you sector adjust the valuations, it's, it's really not as compelling as it appears uh, on the surface. And then EM, very, very cheap still. It's gotten a little bit cheaper this year um, on a P.E. ratio basis, now at a 35% discount to the U.S., and that is cheaper. The P.E. is actually below 11. That is cheaper than its long-term average. So um, if you look at valuations, uh, we would say EM is the place to be, uh, and then the U.S., we think, uh, deserves its premium because um, not just the sector mix, but the really, really strong earnings growth mm -hmm. and earnings momentum. Excellent. Great insight once again. And uh, if I may, just finally to close, you know, when you're talking about valuations uh, and all the client meetings you do, that I do, that Ryan does, we're always asked about, you know, the multiples and whether or not the market's too expensive. And 
if I could just close with the whole idea that uh, we don't think it's appropriate to look at multiples in a vacuum or the market's P.E. ratio in a vacuum. We think it's important to look at P.E. multiples relative to interest rates and inflation. And if you look at that long-term P.E. multiple, most of the numbers people use go back to World War II. I think it would be appropriate to look at the 10-year Treasury, for example, since World War II, or inflation growth on an annual basis since World War II. So if you think, you know, if people are concerned with a three to three and a quarter uh, range currently on on the 10-year Treasury, be mindful that it's more than double that since World War II. Uh, Inflation, the Fed has quintupled their balance sheet over the last 10 years, yet inflation is still approximately half its historical average annual growth rate. So if you look at interest rates and inflation relative to multiples, we think uh, the market is not as expensive as uh, many would view it as domestically, but most important, we're focusing all our investment decisions on the combination of earnings growth and income compounded annually to help our clients achieve their long-term investment goals. So with that, Jeff, that concludes this call. I want to thank you once again for participating today, a great partner, and uh, we wish Ryan a safe trip, and I hope he has a wonderful day at Disneyland, while at Disney World, while he's telling us that he is, uh, he's working at some conference. Everyone have a great day, Jeff. Thank you, and we'll be on next week. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.